Welcome back to Bible time. We're in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, by the grace of God. Every day that we're able to continue um, putting out this podcast is nothing but the grace and mercy of Almighty God. Grace of God to allow us to have a part in His work. Mercy of God to allow this unworthy servant of the Lord to preach His word. And we thank Him for those benefits and those blessings and the privilege of preaching His word and posting it online. We hope it's a blessing to you that are listening online. And also, this is for us, us that are here right now, those of us that are in this room as we go over the Bible study together, this is for us. And we praise God and thank Him for the means to put it up online. And anyone that gets blessed, that's a blessing. But anybody here, um, you remember that this is for you. This is for us. Um, This is for anybody that gets it. Whoever is listening, you can say, this is for me. And I hope that that's true for you today. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this opportunity. And we ask you and humbly, humbly ask you, Lord, to fill us with your spirit. Fill me with thy spirit. Give me utterance and unction. Give me wisdom and grace and power. Help me, Lord, not to be a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word. Help me not to be a preacher of the word who doesn't obey the word, Lord. I need to be obedient to your word as much as anyone else. And I pray that you'd help me and help these that are here. Help us to obey you. Lord, we're looking at sanctification today, and we just pray for that. We ask you to set us apart. Make us holy, separate, and keep us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. First Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, we could have preached on the will of God. There's a lot of people that want to know the will of God. Many times in my life, I have wanted to know the will of God. How many of you have wanted to know the will of God? Have you ever wanted to know the will of God for yourself? I certainly have. The older you get as well, uh, and begin to have, for those of you that are younger, the older you get, the more it will become important to you to know the will of God. And all through your life as you live, you will want to know the will of God. There's a bunch of people out there that think that God is a deistic, Calvinistic God, which isn't fair to Calvin to call these people Calvinists, but in any case, they think that God basically just has has a sovereign will that orchestrates every event from the time the fly lands on the table to the time the butterfly flies by the window and that nothing has any control over itself, but that everything is ordered by a predetermined sovereign um, will of God. And that is as deistic. Do you hear me today? That is as deistic as the theory that God spun the universe into motion and then left it to play itself out. It's just a reverse psychology deism. That theory is that God spun the universe and then he spun every event that would ever happen and then he's letting it play its course. So all they're doing is just changing how much God spun before he let it go and before he st- before he let it um, do its thing and play out. And so the extremist there is going to say that everything is done as a direct result of God's sovereign chosen will and a product of his decision. And God has instead 
set certain laws in place. God is a God of law and order. Pay attention here today. The Bible talks about the will of God. It also talks about the will of man. And God is a God of order and God is a God of purpose and God has a will for your life. But then God also gave you a will for your life. And the Bible tells us, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And then he says, but God be thanked that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. And it says there, that's in Romans 6, where he's talking about being dead to sin and reckoning your members dead unto sin. And all practical Christianity comes down to the reality that man has a will and God has a will. And true sanctification is the perfect alignment of my will with God's will. Do you hear me today? Perfect sanctification is the perfect alignment of my will with God's will. How do you get filled with the Spirit? People might ask, and there's lots of different ideas about that whole subject. But ultimately, the way to be filled with the Spirit, because it's God's will to fill you with the Spirit, the way to be filled with the Spirit is to align your will with God's will. How do you repent? How do I repent? You say, you don't need to repent. Well, you must need to repent, because if you haven't repented, you're not saved. Salvation without repentance is dead and lifeless. Jesus said, repent, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He told the Jews, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Paul said in Acts to the court, to the people on, in Athens, on Mars Hill, the Greeks and the Romans and all the different people from all around the world, philosophers of all nations of the Gentiles. He said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What is repenting? Well, if you're an extreme hyper-Calvinist, Calvin would probably excommunicate you and have you burnt at the stake, by the way, if you are an extreme hyper-Calvinist, because he didn't really preach what you guys are preaching anyway, and I'm not trying to be facetious, just realistic, and if you're an extreme hyper-Calvinist out here and you think that everything happens purely by God's predetermined will and that he's given man absolutely no ability to um, implement or use his own will in any part of salvation or walk in life then you have departed from the truth of God's word. And boy, did we get off on a rabbit trail. But in any case, the um, getting back to where we were, God's will versus my will, God's will versus my will. How do you repent? How does a man repent? Well, if God is the author of your sin, then you can't repent and there's no way to repent. If God made you a sinner and God's will is for you to be a sinner and God's will is for you to go to hell, then you can't repent. But there is no script in the Bible that can preach that, you have to take scriptures out of context and stretch them and ignore other passages of scripture in order to come up with such a heretical opinion. But God, who commanded all men everywhere to repent, listen to me, wills for you to repent. And repentance is nothing more and nothing less than aligning your perspective with God's perspective, which aligns your will with God's will. 
Repentance is turning by choice of will to God, recognizing God's perspective is right and giving it precedence over your perspective. Are we tracking here today? Basically this, repentance means saying, God, you are right. I am wrong. You are holy. I am unholy. You are perfect and I am imperfect and I cannot attain to your righteousness and your holiness and I deserve the lake of fire. I deserve the wrath of almighty God and I justify you even though you don't need justification because you are just in all that you do. And if you send me to hell, Lord God almighty, you are right to do it and I deserve every fire and every flame that will burn my flesh for eternity because I'm a sinner against almighty God. And that repentant heart that then yields to God, cries out to God, but God, I need mercy. I want mercy. I want to be saved. I want to be rescued from your wrath. I want to find a place of refuge from your wrath. And God says, okay, I'll do that. It's in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. When you come to the Father through Jesus Christ, he washes you in the blood of Jesus Christ makes you a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. And you have now received what the Bible calls salvation. At that point, the Holy Spirit of God indwells that believer at the point of salvation and seals you unto the day of redemption and is your earnest of inheritance, the down payment of God for your eternal everlasting soul that Jesus Christ bought on Calvary. If a sinner who is thus sealed with the spirit of promise who has been given the earnest of the inheritance the Holy Spirit of God were to fall away from God and become a sinner and be cast into the lake of fire God would have to go into the lake of fire with you because he sealed you with the earnest of his inheritance those who truly fall away are not really saved and God said in his word that there are many that sleep because of taking communion unworthily and speaks of chastening in the book of Hebrews. And those that sin as a Christian and refuse the chastening hand of God, God takes them out of this life and purifies them and sanctifies them and glorifies them in heaven. Their work is lost. Their work is burnt. But as the Bible clearly says, if any man's work be burnt, he shall suffer loss. Nevertheless, his soul shall be saved. So there's a great big pile of doctrine to disagree over if you want to, but it's all Bible and it's all in the Bible. And that brings us to this statement here in verse three of chapter four, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. The will of God is for your sanctification and that you should abstain from fornication. That is the will of God. You say, I don't know God's will for my life. Here it is. You say, I'd like to find God's will for my life. Here it is. Young person, you come and say, I need to know who to marry, but I'm just not sure of God's will for my life. It's right here. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You say, well, preacher, I think he's the right guy. I really do. I get all tickly and I get emotional when I'm around him. And he makes me cry because he's so sweet and he looks so cute, preacher. We've got to get married. And the preacher says to you, 
He's not saved. And the Bible says, be not unequally yoked. And you say, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. And you go off and sleep with them. Well, you are directly denying the will of God for your life. You say, I want God's will, but you won't listen when God's will is told you. You see, God's will is given to you through the word of God. What is a will, by the way? We know a will is how you exercise your decision making, right? A will is how you exercise your ability to make a decision. But a will is also a legal document. Pay attention. A will is a legal document that belongs to someone that when they die, their last will and testament is a written expression of their will, of their desires, of their directions that they have for the people that they leave behind and for the execution, get this, of the blessings that have been left behind by the one who wrote the will. And the Bible uses this analogy with God, um, with the death of Jesus Christ. And this is not the direction we were planning on going, but maybe the Lord will use it. Lord help us today. So the will is not in effect until the death of the testator. The testament is not in effect until the death of the testator, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ died for us according to the scriptures, and he left us a benefit. He left us eternal life that can be gained through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him, calling on him, repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus Christ, and through faith alone, which exercises itself and works itself out, in repentance and in calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, that faith lays hold on the salvation of Jesus Christ. And then he's given us the comforter. He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go away, I will send a comforter unto you. Do you hear me today? Here comes the comforter, a benefit, a blessing that comes through the will of Jesus Christ, the expressed will that he expressed before he died. John 15, 16, and 17 is uh, is a summary of the will and testament of Jesus Christ, that you may be one as we are one, that you may have, that you may be one, that you may love one another. He says um, that he's not going to ask the father to take us out of the world, but that he keep us from evil. He tells us we'll have tribulation. He says in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, etc., etc. And you have the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. The will of God is expressed in the word of God. You say, I want to know the will of God. Hold your Bible up. You are holding up, when you hold it up, the will of God. You say, preacher, I don't know the will of God for, your, for my life. Hold that Bible higher. There it is. You say, but preacher, really, practically, I need to know if God wants me to marry Johnny. I need to know if God wants me to marry Sally. I need to know if I need to take that job. Hold that Bible up higher. This is the will of God for your life. Now have a seat. Now, sometimes the will of God for particular circumstances might not be readily apparent. It may not, it might not be. Johnny might look like a really great guy, a good potential husband. It might look like he'd take care of you and provide for you and you don't really know. But if you will follow the principles in God's word and the commandments of God's word and be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, you can't miss it. I had a guy tell me once, he said, he said, he called me Josh. He says, Josh, just relax. You can't mess it up. Now, what did he mean by that? He did, did he mean that I wasn't capable of sinning? No, he didn't. 
But he meant he was expressing at the time that he had confidence that I was seeking the Lord. I was trying to do the right thing. I was reading my Bible. I was praying and I was being as obedient as I could to the leading and the light that God was giving me. And he told me, Josh, relax. You can't mess it up. Why would he say that? Because he knew God was going to lead me. And if you will come to God with that kind of an attitude, you will always find that God leads you. Here in chapter 4, verse 3 is the will of God, even your sanctification. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, and that you should abstain from fornication. So there's a comparison here that has to be made. And the comparison is sanctification versus fornication. You might say, what on earth? How can those two even remotely relate to one another? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you right now again just to touch this message. And Lord, take all the confusion out of it and help me to preach your word. Lord, whatever you want me to do, Father God, I want to be mindful of what you want, Lord. This is a big message. It's a lot bigger than I'm capable of delivering. And we need your will and your wisdom today, right now. So we're asking you for it. You said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and give it to all men liberally. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Lord, have mercy on us and meet with us and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have sanctification versus fornication. You cannot have both. It's one or the other. Today, Lord willing, we'll study the will of God, even your sanctification, as it contrasts with the alternative, the will of the world, the flesh and the devil, which is fornication. As sanctification is perfect holiness, fornication is perfect carnality. Do you hear me today? Sanctification is the expression of perfect Christ likeness and fornication is the expression of perfect fleshliness and of a complete inability to be like Christ. All holiness has at its roots sanctification, whereas all fornication has at its roots carnality. All fornication starts with a overabundance of flesh and a lack of the presence and power of the spirit of God. To the degree a man is sanctified, that man abstains from sin. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 today. And again, to the degree a man is sanctified, that man abstains from sin. Sanctification means separated unto, in this case, God. Sanctification in the biblical sense, separate, sanctification is just a separation unto something. And here in the Bible, this is speaking of a separation unto God. And we'll look at that in more detail as we go. But here, this sanctification here, to the degree a man is sanctified, the man abstains from sin. Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Shall not, shall not is a very powerful phrase. Shall is more powerful in the English language than will. That's why a King James Bible, a good pure translation of the word of God has shall instead of will. And because shall is legally binding and will has a degree of maybe to it. 
Will is somewhat subjective, but shall is not subjective. Shall is binding. That's why we use shall in our marriage covenants. And so he says, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How so? If you walk in the spirit. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now Galatians 5.22 gives you the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affection and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. You cannot walk in the spirit and commit fornication at the same time. It is absolutely impossible. And you cannot walk in the flesh and in the spirit at the same time. It is absolutely impossible. It says here in Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And number one on the list is adultery. Now adultery is fornication between married people. It's still fornication. The number one top thing on the list has to do with fornication. The number two thing on the list is fornication. So adultery, fornication, uncleanness is third. And uncleanness is leading up to fornication. So it's lasciviousness. This basically works back from there. Uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the works of the flesh. The flesh cannot be in charge at the same time as the spirit is in charge. Now you can have part of your life yielded to God and part of your life not yielded to God. And when you get into different situations, act differently and there can be a battle going on. And we see that in the word of God, where it says the flesh warth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things which you ought, which I believe is Romans seven. So this battle that's taking place can be a long drawn out war in cases, in which case there are often extreme casualties. If you allow part of your life to be governed by your flesh and part of your life to be governed by the spirit. So on Sunday you get right with God, but on Monday you stop walking in the spirit and start walking after the carnal man. It's going to catch up. It's going to backbite. It's going to knock you out. You're going to blow out. It's just a matter of time until your Monday life catches up with your Sunday life and you cease to be have any control over your life. And that's why the word of God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. The, sanctif- the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God is the answer to every Christian problem. Do you hear me today? Every single Christian problem, if you are a Christian and if you struggle with anything, the answer is sanctification. Now, I know that that might not sound like it helps much. And in some degrees, it won't help because uh, if you're if you're still battling that individual thing and you never get around to sanctification, you won't find that helpful. Sanctification is a yielding up of myself to God where God then controls me, where I've been separated unto the Lord 
walking hand in hand with Christ. That's the whole key. And we'll see that here. Look at Galatians 5, 5 in the same chapter. For we through the spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Did he say we work for the hope of righteousness by faith? No. He said we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And this is the key of the whole thing. Legalism works to please God. Faith works because God is pleased. Legalism works to be holy. Faith works by love because of love for God. When you're walking hand in hand with your lover, you want to do things that please your lover. And you go where your lover goes and you talk to your lover and you're faithful to your lover because you're hand in hand with your lover. But whenever you let go of your lover's hand and your of your spouse's hand and you walk across the street and start walking with the harlot, then you've got a whole nother set of problems that are come. And this is the whole, this is the whole battle of the Christian life. This is the beginning and this is the end. This is step one, step 10, step 30, step 3000 to victory. Every step you can ever have, every pathway to success is involved in this basic principle of sanctification, separation under the Lord. If you are separated under the Lord and walking in love with the Lord, hand in hand with the Lord, you are immune to sin, invincible to the devil's attacks. As long as you're walking hand in hand with Christ, walk in the spirit, it says, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Faith worketh, the Bible says, by love. Faith worketh by love. If you are working by fear, if you are working by perseverance, if you are working by intellectual understanding, if you are working by psychological attempts to get right with God. If your work is not a work of love, it is not a work of faith and that which is without faith is sin. Oh boy, this could get us into a whole other big thing. That which out with, which is without faith is sin. So does that mean that if you try to stay pure by your own efforts instead of by faith, which worketh by love, you're sinning? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. So if you think that you're going to get right and get clean, let's say we've got a Christian here and he's struggling with sin and he really wants to be right with God. So he goes and he gets some counseling and he gets some books and he gets some accountability partners and he gets a piece of paper and he writes his goals on it and he's keeping his goals and keeping track and everything he's doing to stay pure is motivated out of this intense desire to be right, to be right with God, to please God, but it's not by faith which worketh through love. Then what he's actually doing whenever he's not sinning is sinning. Because that which is not of faith is sin. And everything that you try and do to self-help, to reform, to renovate your flesh, instead of falling in love with Christ and walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is sin. This is a powerful truth. You've got to get this. If you don't get this, you'll be in trouble. I'll tell you why this is so powerful. Because if you, young man, if you try and do right by God, because you know it's right, and because you want to please your parents, and because the pastor said so, and because everybody at church expects you to do right, and because the Bible says so, but you're not in love with Christ. And you're not doing it because you love Christ. You're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And you're doing it because you want to do what's right. And you're doing it because the pastor said so. And you're doing it because mom and dad said so. And you're doing it because you have an intense inner longing to do what is right. 
then what is actually happening is your own flesh is growing stronger every day. And while you're not sinning, you're sinning because you're not not sinning through love. You're not sinning through your own carnal ability. And that which is not faith is not of faith is sin. Faith worketh by love. The answer is to fall in love with Christ. And anything short of falling in love with Christ is unacceptable with God. The Bible says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And it said that in the fact, and we, we apply that to before we're saved, but it actually also applies to after we're saved. All our our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Any kind of righteousness, any kind of holiness that you can muster up and attain and achieve through your own personal discipline and your own strength is in an offense and an affront to Almighty God because your flesh is an offense and an affront to Almighty God. The Bible says they that are in the flesh. They that are in the flesh can not please God. Do you hear me? What about the guy that's in the flesh, who's in the fleshiness means having a lot of good standards, carrying his Bible to church, wearing nice clothes, staying modest, talking right, avoiding bad language, never drinking, not looking at promiscuous pictures, and not flirting with other women, staying faithful to his wife, and teaching Bible school. What if that is your flesh that you're walking in? What if you're doing that out of the power and energy of your flesh? The Bible says, they that are in the flesh can not please God. You read your Bible in your flesh, you are not pleasing God. Go to church in your flesh, you are not pleasing God. What's the answer? Quit going to church? Quit reading your Bible? No. Fall in love with Christ. That's the answer. Anything short of love for Christ will not be accepted by God. Faith worketh by love. And this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. The opposite of sanctification in this text is fornication. And fornication is the great work of the flesh listed, and it's alluded to before and after. There's a fornication sandwich in Galatians. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. Adultery has to do with fornication between married people, and uncleanness has to do with secret fornicative acts that are done behind closed doors or where people can't see you, where you're skipping the other person. But all of it has to do with fornication. The first three works of the flesh mentioned in Galatians have to do with fornication. One of them is fornication, which is acting married with someone you're not married with. Adam knew his wife and she conceived and brought forth a son. To do that with someone you're not married to is fornication. That's what God's talking about. And so sanctification, the opposite of it, is fornication. Now we'll see that that holds true spiritually as well as physically if we go on with our text here. Go to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at sanctification here. 2 Corinthians 6. 6 verse 14. Be not be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, here's our big word, and be ye separate 
separate, saith the Lord. That word separate is the practical definition of the word sanctification. He says, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. This is a practical call to sanctification. And he says, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, chapter 7, verse 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What a powerful text. It reminds me of the verse that says, he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And in Peter where it says, be holy as I am holy, he says, as it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. And here God is calling us to be separate, to touch not the unclean thing. Fornication is unlawful joining together. Go in the same chapter, chapter six, only let's go back to first Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter six and verse 15. Now, this is following directly on the heels of Paul dealing with a matter of fornication in the church in chapter 5. Well, you're turning to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is reported commonly that there's fornication among you. Paul says, deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of your flesh. He says, not to company with fornicators that call them, that are called brethren. But he's not talking about the fornicators of this world unless you needs go out of the world. But he's saying, put away, put away that person. He says, them that are without God judge. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And in Ephesians, it says, let it not once be named among you. We'll go there in a second. But 1 Corinthians 6, 15, in this context of the fornication within the Corinthian church, in verse 14, he says, um, and, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his own power. What kind of a promise is that? Now, we know that the law is carnal. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, the Bible says. And the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I. We know that the flesh warreth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary the one to another so that you would cannot do that which you would not, that which you would do. We know that there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. We know that the apostle Paul said the good that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that do I. And we know that therefore it is impossible in a sense for a Christian to be perfect. The reality is though, it is impossible for a fleshly Christian to be perfect and it is impossible listen to me today, for a spiritual Christian to be imperfect. The one is as true as the other. Here he says, the Lord and God hath both, both raised up the Lord and will also raise us, raise up us by his own power. And here he's giving the whole sense and the whole promise of sanctification is through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I've got to share that verse with you from Romans where he says there, it's, um, Romans chapter 8. But if the spirit of him, it's verse 11, and we'll be right back in 1 Corinthians, Romans 8, 11, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Now that's not talking about your glorified body. It explicitly said there, God explicitly said by, through the apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, your mortal bodies, that he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So there we're told by the apostle Paul that we are joint heirs with Christ and we're promised by God that he through the spirit gives us the power to mortify our members that are upon the earth. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, etc., etc., etc. Let it not once be named among you. We'll be there in just a second in Ephesians chapter 5. So here in 1 Corinthians six fourteen, he says, And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Listen, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. There you have it. The joining. The joining where there should be separation. Sanctification is a separation from the unclean thing. Fornication is the deepest, closest attachment to the unclean thing. Fornication is the ultimate expression of a lack of sanctification. He says, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication, he says. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Now here we have the the challenge here that's thrown down. We're told to uh, that it's the will of God for us, even our sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And here the gauntlet's thrown down by the Apostle Paul. This is the will of God, but it is not necessarily going to happen unless you have a part in it. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? <coughs> it's a miracle, but God sovereignly chose to give man the choice in the matter to a degree. God doesn't give man free will. Free will is not in the Bible. You show me where it says free will. Show me the verse. Show me the verse in its context. It's not there. Man does have a will and man does make some choices, but God is sovereign and God is able to shockingly and strongly convince men of what he wants them to do or to change the circumstances to force you to do something you would not have otherwise done. And every one of you can probably attest to times in your life when you would have gone one way, but circumstances prevented you. And God is over all of that. God is in charge. God 
God has set things to go by course and natural law, but God can also break his own natural laws of gravity and anything like that that he wants to anytime he wants to. And he proved that when he was on the earth in the form of man, who we call Jesus Christ. So God can, God can convince you, God can draw you, God can convince you, God can call you, God can manipulate you to do what he, make you do what he wants you to do. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't, and that's God's business. And it's a lot bigger subject than your little pea-sized brain can handle. Now, I'm saying that specifically to those of you that think that you know all of God's ways and you have God's sovereign will all figured out and you think that you know everything that there is to know about God and his sovereignty and you look down your nose at everybody else. I'm telling you, your brain is too little for the job. You have overtaxed your resources. Now, uh, we're going back here, getting back on subject. So here, Ephesians 5, go there quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. He says here, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Now I lost track of the text that speaks of mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, and then goes on fornication, etc., etc., um, and tells us not to do those. Somebody can look that up for me if you want. If you're able to, but here in Ephesians five, it says, um, walk in love. Get that right now. Verse two of chapter five says, walk in love. Verse three says, but fornication, etc. let it not once be named among you as become as saints. Did you hear that? Walk in love. Let it not once be named among you. What does remember faith? What does faith work by love? Faith worketh by love. The whole thing has to be based on love. If you are going to bind your own flesh and bring it under subjection to your own carnal ability to discipline yourself and keep yourself from sin, you are not walking by faith. You are not working by love. And therefore you are sinning against God and it's going to backfire. There's a great big... um, question people have how come sometimes the kids that grow up in the godliest homes with high high standards and godly praying parents in a good church sometimes they're the ones that blow out the hardest and the farthest and go the furthest from god when they blow out and this is the answer because they disciplined themselves with a carnal discipline in order to for whatever reason be accepted in their own mind or in their parents' minds, or in their church's minds, or in the organization's minds that they were connected with, but they were never sanctified, separated unto God. They were only separated from the wickedness of the world by the sheer force of their own will. And as such, their own will and their own carnal nature was growing stronger and stronger and stronger every day. 
way as they discipline themselves. And the boy down the road looking at pornography is just letting his flesh run wild. But that boy in the godly home that's turning his eyes away, even though he's not doing it because he loves God, he is disciplining his flesh. He is bringing his flesh into subjection, but not into subjection to Christ, which is what sanctification is. Instead, he's bringing his flesh into subjection to his own will for his own glory and his own motivation and his own honor and his own reputation. And when the day comes and it will come, that that flesh that has been disciplined and that flesh that has held like a giant dam against the floods of sin, when the day comes that the floods of sin finally wash over that dam, they will cut a breach in that dam. And because that dam has been built so high for so long and the floods of sin have built up a backlog of billions times billions of gallons of water's worth of backlog of sin because he has has not given vent to it and he has not let it run its course when that sin cuts the dam all hell will break loose in that life and that little boy that was so holy and that young lady that memorized all the verses and that young man who went to Bible school every year with his Bible under his arm and he had his hair cut right and he had the right clothes and he said the right things and he went soul winning and carried tracks in his pockets and he did everything that was right will turn into one of the most wicked, vile, God-hating, reprobate infidels you have ever seen in your life because he's not working by love. It's not sanctification. It's not faith. It's not love. It's actually carnal. And he's disciplined a monster in his own heart. He's built a monster in his own heart. A monster of legalistic rules. Even if his parents' rules weren't legalistic. Because they were to him. Because he wasn't doing it out of love. He was doing it out of a forced motivation. To appease his own conscience or please his parents or his church. But not love. Here he says, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saints. Listen to me. You're not going to make it if you don't fall in love with Jesus Christ. Memorize every verse in that Bible. Read it a thousand times before you graduate high school. Read it a thousand times before you reach 40 years of age. Read it a thousand times in your first 10 years of salvation. Memorize whole chunks of it. Diagram it. Study it. And you will fall unless you love him. There's a reason that sometimes the illiterate backwoods Mother of seven unruly children whose father is a drunk, loves God, and manages to stand through some trials that would sink your average Christian in a heartbeat. But she stands. The reason is love. Because love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of a fire which hath the most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man will give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contemned. Listen to me today. Sanctification 
is about love. Sanctification is about being separated unto God. Abstaining from fornication is about separating from evil. But sanctification is being separated unto God, walking hand in hand with God, being espoused to God, which the Bible uses. <coughs> we have Colossians 3, 5. Let's go there real quick. We'll look at a couple verses and maintain that thought and that understanding of faith that worketh by love. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That's the verse I was looking for earlier. There it is. Thank you for looking it up. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then go to 2 Timothy 2.19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from iniquity. In verse 22, he says, Flee also youthful lust. He speaks, we'll just read this. He says, Depart from iniquity. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, there's man's responsibility right there. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, <coughs> but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Go back to Ephesians Plan on closing it out here if, this, if the Lord has us do that. In short, here today, God wants it's us to be a chaste bride. Here in Ephesians 5, where he says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. And then he says, Fornication and uncleanness, covetousness, let not once be named among you as becometh saints. Here in verse 27, he says um, that he might present it to himself, speaking of Christ in the church that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And if you go back to verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So here the direct inference is that Christ, as the bridegroom, has given himself for the church, the bride. So the call to sanctification is the call of engagement. <clears throat> sanctification is not disciplining yourself and staying out of sin. Sanctification is not having a bunch of people lay hands on you until you make some kind of unutterable noises that cannot be understood by human ears and have to be interpreted. Sanctification, in long and short, is an engagement. Sanctification is whenever you put your hand in the hand of Christ and say, I do. <clears throat> I will. Yes, I will marry you. Christ makes the proposal. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. You are left as the bride with the answer. The bride to be. And he's sovereignly chosen to give you the right to choose the answer. And you as the bride to be have to choose. 
Will I put my hand in Christ's hand? Will I put the engagement ring on my finger? And if I do, will I go flirt with another woman? How many of you think if I asked my wife here to marry me and she said yes, and then I went down the street to another lady's house and asked her, would that be right? No, that'd be wrong. How many of you think that if I asked her to marry me and she went off down the road and some boy walked up with flowers and said, hey, you have such pretty eyes. I just wanted to give you these flowers and winked at her. Should she take the flowers from him? What do you think? Oh, we got one little girl out here that says flowers. I'll take them. But she's too young to understand yet exactly what we're talking about. But otherwise, how many of you that are older got that? Should she take those flowers? Shake your head no if you don't think so, or yes if you do. No is the general consensus. So no, she should not take those flowers because she is separated unto me. She's my wife to be. Whenever she was engaged to me, she separated herself from everybody else and everybody else was separated from her but she was separated unto me and here the command is given and the and the contrast given between sanctification and fornication because sanctification is the equivalent of engagement to be married that is why it's put in direct contrast with fornication how many of you would have just naturally thought what's the opposite of sanctification oh fornication probably not me God put it this way for a reason. In fact, I didn't think of it naturally. I had to ask the question as I was studying, God, why did you put these two together? And then it became really clear as soon as I started studying the scripture. And I hope it's becoming clear to you right now. Sanctification is engagement. Sanctification is not a bunch of rules. It's lovership. How many of you out there think, somebody ought to get married that says let's say let's say john doe shows up at sally sue's house and he says sally sue i want you to marry me will you marry me and sally sue says oh john doe I'm under grace. I have liberty. I don't want a bunch of rules. I don't want to have to separate myself from the world. I don't want to have to be holy. I don't want to have to stop flirting with the boys. I mean, I'll take you, John, but I'm going to still flirt, and I'm going to still run around and kiss on people, and I'm going to still take chocolate and candy. So yeah, if you want to marry me, I'll marry you, but I'm still going to kiss all the other boys too. What do you think? Good or bad or ugly? Really ugly. Really ugly. Listen to me. Sanctification is not a bunch of rules. Sanctification is engagement. Sanctification should be exciting. Sanctification should be pure. Sanctification should be holy. Sanctification should be exhilarating. Sanctification should give us hope because sanctification points to our glorification. Sanctification reminds us of our glorification of the beautiful wedding day when the bride comes to take, the bridegroom comes to take his bride. Sanctification points you to the wedding day. Hallelujah. Old Sally Sue says, Oh, Johnny, I really do love you. And when you come to marry me, I'll be faithful to you. But I'm going to give it a good run while I have liberty. What do you think? Is that sanctification? 
No. Sanctification is engagement. Sanctification is separation unto God. And so he says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd take this word and that you'd use it and that you'd help us, Lord, to alter our minds. Lord, you told us to renew our minds through your word, and we pray that you would help us to do so in Jesus' holy name and for Christ's sake. Now, before we close, the Lord reminded me, I knew there was something I was missing. Go back to Ephesians. As we were praying, it came to my mind, and I even asked the Lord to do it, that he would change our minds. And we need to see this in Ephesians chapter 5. And, it's, and it ties in with Romans 12, where he says um, to be renewed in your minds. But here in Ephesians 5, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it. Boy, thank you, Lord, for not letting us miss this verse. It would have been incomplete. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So the sanctification that we're called to is done by God through his word. So while we maintained earlier that if you read the word, that's not going to make you holy, that it's love that has to be there. There has to be love. Yet at the same time, it's the word that God will use to sanctify you. He says in Romans 12, uh, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, just as a bride presents her body to her groom, holy and acceptable unto her groom, a living sacrifice cut off from all others, separated unto her groom, and that is her reasonable service. That's the only way she has a right to a white wedding dress. Any woman getting married in a white wedding dress who is not pure is lying. The whole purpose of the white wedding dress means that she has kept herself morally and physically pure for her groom. That's why the Bible talks about the church wearing the white linen, the righteousness of Christ there in the book of Revelation. So here, <clears throat> he commands us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see how that ties that all back together? With these two texts, the will of God, this proves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And our text says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And here it all ties back together. The washing of the water of the word renews your mind, changes your mind and transforms you holy and acceptable unto God, a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the clarity of it. We pray that you'd help us, Lord God, that you would help us to change our minds about this whole situation, to fall in love with you, Lord, and to do all that we do through faith, which worketh by love. In Jesus' name, amen.